welcome everyone to this Sunday edition of BAMS Radio. Now that we have begun the new era of Alabama football, and of course, uh, on last week's show, we, we delved into the hire of, uh, as we know, uh, Kalen DeBoer, who is the 28th head football coach at the University of Alabama. But now, a week later, we basically have his coaching staff taking shape, uh, and they have, uh, they have had their first big recruiting weekend. Uh, there has been, of course, uh, the yeah, the angst of the Tide Nation with uh, guys departing since we last spoke with you. Uh, Julian Sayan, the five-star quarterback and the jewel of the 2024 number two ranked recruiting class, is now gone. He only went through a few bowl practices with Alabama. He is now just announced that less than an hour ago he will be an Ohio State Buckeye and never win anything. Uh, but and then and then, and then probably won't even be the starting quarterback. I predict this fall uh, likely will have to wait a year. Most of these five-star QBs do not start as a freshman, even though you will hear people scream from the rooftops. The guy's going to start as a freshman. I've heard that stuff since Star Jackson signed with Alabama, the first quote-unquote major <laughs> signing under Nick Saban as quarterback, and he never played a meaningful snap. Now. We've had the, of course, at Alabama, we've been blessed with the Tua Tungvaluas and the and the Bryce Youngs, but even they waited a year. People always think the QB, the next QB, the five-star guy is going to start as a freshman and revolutionize the sport. They all have to adjust and wait, and Julian Sang was no different. I think he was an elite talent, but do I think he's going to break Alabama football? No, actually, he's not even the biggest loss. The biggest loss for the Crimson Tide and the one truly great player they have lost is Caleb Downs. He is also going to be a Buckeye. Uh, it's kind of funny. Uh, the Georgia Bulldogs thought they had uh, pilfered uh, Tervarius Robinson, made him the co-DC and quote-unquote safeties coach, thought he was going to deliver Caleb Downs, and then Caleb took the money and ended up uh, going to uh, to uh, um, Ohio State. So it's going to be very, very interesting uh, to see uh, how that all ultimately uh, works out. They also got Seth McLaughlin. So Ohio State has been very aggressive in the transfer portal, and uh, they have three uh, prominent Alabama guys now on their football team. And they've really rebuilt the middle of their football team. When you talk about Seth McLaughlin at center, uh, you know, uh, the Will Howard coming over from uh, Kansas State to be the quarterback. And then, of course, uh, Quinchon Judkins coming over. Uh, for uh, to be the running back at Ohio State and now Caleb Downs. So there's never been more pressure on Ryan Day to finally deliver a championship. He's only, uh, you know, uh, delivered uh, one uh, big uh, – he's delivered a Big Ten championship to a couple of my guests. To be honest with you, I don't pay attention to the Suckeyes much. I just know he's played for one national championship, uh, and Alabama handed him his ass. And then – he did nearly make it in uh, in 2021, uh, or excuse me, 2022. Let me correct myself. 2022 probably should have beaten Georgia before they repeated, but he once again couldn't finish the drill. So it'll be interesting. The pressure will be on him, and and, the, and to see what Jim Harbaugh does. Jim Harbaugh, if he leaves Michigan to go back to the NFL, and he's certainly heavily flirting again. Uh, then their roster will be wide open, and Alabama could potentially pounce on that. But we're going to talk about Alabama's recruiting weekend. We're going to talk about this coaching staff that's being put together and been really put together by Kalen DeBoer. I know it hasn't been officially announced, but, of course, uh, William Barger, who's with me now, and Thomas the Wizard Watts, 
uh, our producer in Mobile. Uh, they and myself, we've all uh, been following this very closely. We're going to talk about the coaching staff, the recruiting that they're doing, and, you know, the potential roster and what's, what it's going to look like for Alabama. But, William, uh, it's great to speak with you again. I know it's been really a, a stressful last week because of all the things going on. Uh, you know, we, we have been used to 17 years of stability. Now we have transition, and it's a different era of college football with all this NIL and transfer portal, and and this Alabama roster is taking a hit, no question about it. I still think they're going to have one of the best rosters in college football, but you're definitely going to need a roster sheet in spring practice and when fall camp breaks uh, in August. Well, and, and, you know, Drew, it's <clears throat> kind of one of those deals in the uh, almost the surreal – you know, era of, of, you know, the NIL um, era of college football that we're living in, you know, a lot of this stuff um, is, is even, you know, mind blowing to me, um, you know, the way a lot of this stuff comes about. I mean, I don't think it's, you know, I don't think your, your average Alabama fan should have been, you know, in, in a shock and awe mode over, you know, the departures after Nick Saban retired. Um, you know, let's let's don't kid ourselves. You know, Alabama football, you know, without Nick Saban is a brand amongst itself. But, you know, certainly with Nick Saban at the helm for basically the last 20 years, you know, it was the premier brand in college football. And, and you know, it's it's no big secret that there's, you know, a lot of players that, that came to Alabama, um, you know, in the last, you know, 10 years. Um, just so they could play for Nick Saban and, um, you know, have that, that brand stamp on their resume and, and you know, wh- whether it was to, you know, a, a clearer path to the NFL or, you know, a walk-on that, that maybe had his eyes set on, um, you know, getting into uh, coaching, um, you know, at the college level, which has become a, you know, lucrative, lucrative business. Um, you know, there's, I think it's three schools, uh, Michigan, Oklahoma State, and maybe Iowa. There's three of them that pay their damn strength and conditioning coach north of a million dollars a year. So, you know, I mean, you know, these position coaches, you know, we're getting, you know, if you're good at your craft, you know, you're getting seven, seven fifty a year. Coordinators are, you know, somewhere between one point five and two million a year. I mean, it's it's just crazy. Um, but so, you know, w- w- the minute that Nick Saban, re- you know, resigned or, or retired, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, I, I knew that there was going to be a mass exodus of players because, you know, in this NIL era, I think there were, you know, several players. And I would think that, um, you know, Caleb Downs would probably be the, the poster child for this and, and maybe to a lesser extent, Julian saying that probably could have committed uh, to another school for more money, but they were willing to come to Alabama for the Nick Saban discount. And so, you know, um, it's, it, it, I mean, it really is absolute insanity the, the way the state of, or where the state of, you know, college football is today. Um, you know, and I, I think probably the, the, the best example of it is, um, you know, with, with the true freshman left tackle, Caden Proctor. Um, 
you know, he, he got a lot of money to come to Alabama. He was also offered a lot of money, um, you know, to stay at home and play for the, the home state school, Iowa. Um, you know, he rolled the dice. He came to Alabama, um, you know, kind of had a roller coaster ride his, his true freshman season. And, you know, if you believe the reports that are out of there, um, you know, got, you know, dealt with a little bit of homesickness and depression, uh, you know, during the fall, um, you know, went home for a couple of days at Christmas, you know, kind of had to be poked and prodded to show up for the Rose Bowl and play. And then he ends up back at Iowa anyway. Um, you know, if, if the amount of NIL money that Caden Proctor got to sign with Alabama and, and move halfway across the country are close to being accurate, you know, all I can do is put my 18-year-old self in, in, you know, Caden Proctor's body and mind. And, you know, it had just been a 45-minute trip for me from Birmingham to Tuscaloosa. But, you know, if, if he truly had a $750,000 NIL value and that's what he got to play for Alabama, uh, that would have, you know, bought a lot of antidepressants, um, a lot of mama's home cooked meals, uh, you know, a lot of visits to the dry cleaners. And, you know, I would have just said, you know, Hey, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to hire a personal chef and a, and a, and a housekeeper and I won't miss mama that much, but you know, that's me you know, coming from the generation that I come from, uh, you know, as a college football player. And, and uh, you know, I'm in a group text with, you know, like 15 former teammates, and we talk about this stuff, you know, on a daily basis. And, you know, it's, it's just amazing to um, – because, you know, when, when we got out of school – um, you know, in the mid-90s, we were, you know, all young men, 24, 25 years old, and now we're, you know, trying to hang on and, and be middle-aged men, but we're, 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 we're trending real quickly to being old men, and, and, you know, this mindset that these players have, um, you know, it, 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 how it goes into, you know, choosing a school to go to, committing to a school, you know, that's who you want to go play for. And the amount of resources, you know, that you get to go do it. Um, and I'm going to take the Caden Proctors and the Julian Sayans and the Caleb Downs totally out of the equation. I mean, just, just look at the, the situation that the University of Texas offers all scholarship offensive linemen. It doesn't matter if you're the starting left tackle or the third team center. The university gives every scholarship offensive lineman $50,000 a year in straight up NIL money. Um, you know, after taxes, that's probably 35,000. Um, you know, you, you, you multiply that times four years you know, you're, you're looking, you know, in the, the low six figures. If, if, if the third team center who never sees the field, you know, takes that money and puts it in a uh, Warren Buffett-backed Vanguard, you know, 500 uh, Roth IRA, 
you know, they're 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 sitting on millions and millions of dollars by the time they're forty five years old. And they can retire. Um, but you know, so Drew, it's 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 so many things to go into this. I know a lot of these kids are looking for, you know, watches and and you know, uh, sports cars and you know, having money in their pocket, which they should have plenty of money in their pocket. But it's, it's there, there's so many different things you can break down and look at with this stuff that someone that, that you know, was, a, was a, a pretty highly rated recruit like myself as a senior in high school, you know, none of this was, was in play for, you know, people of my generation. And, and, you know, and I sit here and I look at it and I'm like, you know, these kids, you know, they're, they're mercenaries. I mean, it's even worse than, you know, what goes on in the NFL. I mean, at least, you know, NFL players are bound by a contract. Um, you know, and I get it. You know, a, a high school kid should never make a choice on where they're going to college based on who their lead recruiter is who their position coach is or who their head coach is because they could all vanish tomorrow and go to a, you know, like the Jim Harbaugh, you know, stuff. I mean, he could walk out on that Michigan team at noon tomorrow. You know, you you need to go look at it from a standpoint of, especially now, I mean, you're going to get money wherever you go. I know you can probably get more some places than others, but you know, the, the way I reached my college decision had nothing to do with money. Um, you know, at the time, it was a bunch of projection based on past history versus future history. But, you know, I made my decision to go to the University of Alabama where I thought if I blew my knee out the first week of fall camp, where would I be happy being a normal college student without the football? And, yeah. And so – you know, I made a pretty good – I mean, I didn't make a lot of good decisions, you know, at the age of 18, but I did make a good decision there because I knew that, uh, you know, Tuscaloosa was where I would be happy as a normal student. But, you know, th- this stuff is so off kilter. It is so far, you know, from where I think the original – you know, I, Drew, I saw a great interview last week. Uh, with former Alabama offensive coordinator and current Maryland head coach Mike Loxley. Right. And, you know, the, the guy that was interviewing him, you know, said, you know, what, what were your thoughts when the NIL was first, you know, came into play? And, 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 and you know, and Lox was like, well, you know, the top ten guys in the recruiting class, you know, maybe they get $100,000, all right? You know, everybody doesn't get that kind of money, but, you know, maybe the top 10 guys in a recruiting class do. But he said what it's turned into today is you give those guys, whether it's 100000 or, you know, 500000 whatever the money is, and they come back into your office, you know, at, you know, 11.5 months after they got their $100,000, and they're blackmailing you to stay if they don't get a race. You know, Coach, if you don't give me more, you know, I, I, I'm going to Michigan um, or I'm going to Ohio State. And, and so, you know, it's just – and I think, you know, and I'm, I don't know this for a fact. I do think, you know, Nick Saban is 
motivated and, 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 and invested in trying to fix, you know, this NIL issue. You know, it wouldn't surprise me to see him, you know, in, in six months be on the college football playoff committee. Uh, but, but I do think he's invested in trying to fix a wrong that, that he's, you know, witnessed, you know, with his own two eyes and his own ears. So, um, and this isn't Alabama-centric. I mean, this is, you know, all over college football. Yeah, it is. There's no question about it. Uh, it's a time of transition. It needs to be fixed. I think Nick Saban can play a big part in that. But right now, you can't worry about it. You've got to stay the course, and you've got to put your own roster together. You know, the, 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 the portal can take it, but it can give it. And that's going to be a big part of this weekend. And Alabama, you know, has already gotten a big piece of the puzzle Maybe the biggest with, uh, you know, as we already mentioned earlier in the show, Seth McLaughlin moving on uh, to uh, the to Ohio State University, to the Ohio State University to, uh, uh, you know, uh, to uh, end his career. He's got one year of eligibility left. Um, but Alabama did get the commitment of Parker Brailsford, who, uh, you know, is a, a, a smaller center, but a quicker kid, only about 275 pounds from, uh, you know, Scottsdale, Arizona. He was a, a, a redshirt freshman this year. left three years of eligibility left. He was second team all Pac-12. He started all 15 games. And um, I know the times have changed, William. But under Nick Saban, he loved he loved 300-pound-plus linemen. But they may be kind of going away from that with Kalen DeBoer coming in here because everybody has to start, you know, quit thinking about Sabanese and start thinking about the offensive and defensive schemes that they're going to be running under, you know, Kalen DeBoer. I still think he'll play at like 280, 285, but I remember uh, one of your uh, teammates, Fairhope's own Toby Shields. I mean, back in those days, he was in the 250s and 260s in the ni- early 90s playing center. I, I don't think they'll be the linemen that light, but I do think Brailsford will likely be under 300 pounds. But I know Pro Football Focus had him maybe the number one center in the country. And if you're going to lose Seth McLaughlin, I think you upgraded with Parker Brailsford. I think Seth is a solid player, but getting Parker Brailsford committed, I thought was a huge part of it when you have your two, uh, you know, guards returning in the Swamp Monster, Jaden Roberts and Tyler Booker at the, on, at, on the uh, right and left side, respectively. Well, I'm glad you brought up old Tobias because uh, I've had uh, multiple conversations with him um, via text over the last six months. First of all, um, he, he never, the, the needle on the scale when he stood on it, even in the off season, never got to 260. Um, it was, he was lucky if he ever got north of 250. Um, but I asked him um, during the 1992 national championship season, what was your average weight for each game that you started? And he said, honestly, about 239. Oh, wow. Now, that was 35 years ago, Drew. Uh, but, you know, even for back then, um, you know, that, that was way, way not the norm. And, you know, we, we, we all kind of give Toby the business that, you know, maybe if he'd have uh, – we even had an offensive line coach tell him, uh, you know, son, you, you need to uh, – I don't know what kind of supplements you're on now, but you might want to consider some different ones. Uh, and, and and so, and I, I got to be honest with you, if Toby Shields had made that decision, 
Um, he could have been Mark Stepnowski 2.0 for a long time in the NFL. Um, and I'm going to make this comparison in just a minute between Toby Shields and, and the Washington Center for two different reasons. The reason Toby Shields was a two-time uh, All-SEC Center, and I think his senior year he was even an All-American, and he was able to be as good as he was, you know, A, he was tough as nails. He came from a blue-collar black, uh, black uh, background, um, you know, was born in upstate New York, moved to the Alabama Gulf Coast, I want to say maybe somewhere between fifth and seventh grade. Um, you know, he, he is what your average Alabama offensive lineman was, you know, in the 70s and 80s and, you know, maybe even part of the 90s. Um you know, mentally tough, physically tough. Um, you know, I would, I could probably open up a debate with, you know, maybe somebody like Cole Kublik uh, that knows what he's looking at when it comes to offensive line prospects. But there's two people that played football at the University of Alabama um, pre-Nick Saban that had what most offensive linemen, there's two things that offensive linemen need to be successful with. Uh, one of them Toby had, um, and that's a, an elite quick first step. Maybe the only one that's ever played at Alabama who was also a pretty undersized guy. I think he played his whole career with the Miami Dolphins um, in the 250, 260 range was Dwight Stevenson. Yeah, those two guys had elite first steps. You know what the what the Brayfield kid brings to the table, um, and he's got a good first step. But for somebody that's not any taller than he is, he has ridiculously long arms. Yeah. So when you start getting into O line play, um, you know if, if you've got a quicker step laterally or or gaining ground in his own blocking scheme with an offensive line a defensive lineman. You know, if your first step's quicker, you're going to get position on that defensive lineman. You know, that's Toby and Dwight Stevenson's game. You know, where, where it comes into play with Brayfield um, is his, his, his arm length is ridiculous for somebody of his physical stature, which plays into the leverage aspect of O-line play. And, you know, you can, you know, um, you know especially if you've got some type of wrestling background, um, you know, th th those to me, you know, if you're evaluating an offensive lineman, there's three things you want to look at. Can he get into a three-point stance and he has enough hip, knee, and ankle flexion where both feet can rest flat on the ground? And I learned that from Joe Pendry. But the next thing is the arm length and the quick first step. And so, you know, the, the kid that's coming from Washington – um, has a lot of that stuff, but where he stands out, where he's been, you know, a really, really good player, maybe outside of only the national championship game against Michigan. Um, you know, they're, they're big people, uh, you know, kind of did overwhelm them a little bit. Uh, it certainly didn't, you know, cause him to dribble snaps back to uh, Michael Penix, but I, I, I like it. I'm glad he's coming. Um, I think he's going to be your starting center. And so, Drew, that's where we're at now is um, we, we've got to, as Alabama fans, start looking at the successful system as a head coach 
that, that Kalen DeBoer's had at both Fresno State and Washington. And, you know, Alabama fans are going to sit there and try and nitpick this to death. Well, he did it against nobody. Um, you know, the, the, the Pac-10 or 12, whatever it is now, you know, that, that's not the SEC. Well, they did it against SEC quality type schools. Um, he beat Steve Sarkeesian at Texas, uh, you know, twice in one year. Um, he beat Lincoln Riley once. And he beat Dan Lanning three times at Oregon. So there are transitive properties in coaching football at every level. You know, if you've been successful at every level and at every stop, um, yes, it's transitive. And some of these, you know, coordinators and position coaches that he's hired, um, it's transitive. And so, but, you know, I'm going to shut up here in a second and let you and Thomas talk, but the the thing that I find so interesting to me is if you go back to, I don't know when he left. I mean, I'm glad he was, I'm glad he's gone and I'm glad he's never coming back. But if you go back to when Scott Cochran, uh, you know, went to Nick Saban and said, I want an on the field coaching job. And, And Nick Saban had been trying to get Scott Cochran for three or four years to, evolved the Alabama strength and conditioning program to where he wanted it to be. And it wasn't like Scott Cochran committed, uh, you know, insubordinates. He just, you know, intellectually was not capable of making that evolution. And so, you know, Nick Saban had to make a decision. And there was something that was going on at Indiana University at that time that attracted him to David Ballou and Matt Rhea, and the combination that they had with, you know, uh, basically a power lifter and David Ballou and, and, a, and, a, and a strength and, and explosion and speed expert, Matt Rhea, and, and Nick Saban went, you know, why is a dog shit program like Indiana all of a sudden starting to produce multiple first, second, and third round draft picks in the NFL draft? And so he plucked those guys. If you go back and you look at that staff at Indiana, there's a lot of those same cats that are on Kalen DeBoer's coaching staff now. And they've all been wildly successful at other schools. You know, some of them at Washington, you know, uh, Womack at South Alabama, um, you know, uh, the, the Maurice guy that's the, the you know, going to be the DB's coach is the head coach at Buffalo. And so, it's really intriguing to me that here we sit, uh, you know, on a Sunday in late January, and now Kalen DeBoer is the head coach at Alabama. You know, he's going to retain David Ballou because of what they did together at, at Indiana. And, you know, all these other guys that were on that staff are, are now basically going to be, you know, with him at Alabama. It's It's – and I'll say this, and then I'll shut up. Um, I'm old enough now to where I've been in, you know, several different businesses, and and you know, I've seen, you know, I've seen people be successful. I've seen people fail. Um, you know, I've, I've had both of those experiences myself in the private sector. But Alabama fans just need to sit back, let this guy uh, get his people in place in Tuscaloosa. 
it's going to be a different flavor. It's going to be a different uh, culture. But, but you know, give the guy the chance to get his culture in place and, and let the pieces fall where they may. I mean, we're probably not done, um, you know, with players off of the current roster departing. But I really think that, it, you know, if Alabama fans will just be patient, you know, buy in, be supportive, um, you know, if you have the extra scratch in your bank account every month, uh, you know, send 50 bucks a month to the, you know, yay Alabama collective and, you know, give this guy a chance. And, and I think you're going to be happy with the final product. Yeah, no question about it. I, I do think you're going to be happy. And speaking of that product, um, I think beyond a shadow of a doubt, uh, I'm excited about the coaching staff. You mentioned some of that right there. Um, I think it's going to be, you know, a, a great staff. Um, the offensive staff was put together first, and not surprising. It was mostly Washington guys, uh, no question about that, just because they had such a great offense. They were kind of defined by that. But I think it shows DeVore, you know, how important he knows that it is to to continue to evolve because, again, they didn't have – they had a good defensive staff, I think, at Washington. They still – and they almost won the national championship. But if he's going to win the SEC title and he's going to win national championships, which is what he's going to be expected to do, and then we're going to have to make some changes, uh, you know, on, on uh, defense. But his offensive staff is going to be a very familiar name we kind of talked about last week. He is going to be at Alabama, Ryan Grubb. Uh, is going to be a quarter, you know, OC and QB coach. Uh, he's coming. He was not hired as head coach. They Hired Jed Fish from Arizona to be the head football coach. So Ryan Grubb will be here. Offensive line, I think everybody's excited about this new start. Scott Huff, his own line, only gave up 12 sacks all year, not 49. And, of course, uh, I think two-thirds of those were on the quarterback. But potentially, how, how much better could this staff make Jalen Milrow? That's going to be a huge question uh, if Milrow can uh, continue and build upon what he did last year. But Scott Huff. Uh, who, who built a great offensive line. He is coming over from Washington. Wide receivers coach, very excited about this guy, Jamarcus Shepard. I think, you know, yes. Coleman Wiggins did a solid job, but they needed new blood there. And Saban was, Saban tried to hire Ryan Grubb last year. Uh, there seemed to be some buzz that he was going to try to hire Jamarcus Shepard. No need to do that. That's now. 100% true. Yeah, Nick Sheridan will be the tight ends coach. He replaced Joe Cox. Cox is one guy I thought might be able to keep his job, but Nick Sheridan is coming. And then the only holdover offensively, Robert Gillespie is going to be the running backs coach and hopefully can keep that running back room intact. So far, so good. Roy Dell Williams did leave for Florida State, but that was already happening before Saban retired. And Jace McClellan turned pro, as everybody thought very likely that he would do. But you still have Jam Miller, Justice Haynes, Richard Young, uh, and then the two signees, Daniel Hill, uh, you know, who is an outstanding player from Ritty, Mississippi, a different kind of back, a bigger 240-pounder, good receiver, good runner uh, uh, that, uh, that signed. And then, of course, also Kevin Riley uh, from Tuscaloosa County High School. So, But that's the offensive staff. The defensive staff looks like it's going to be Kane Womack, uh, who would be the defensive coordinator and inside linebackers coach. Uh, and uh, he, he's a guy that uh, his defense kind of revolves around the safety, so that's going to be interesting. The only holdover on defense looks like it's going to be, you know, defensive line coach Freddie Roach, and everybody knows what I think of that. No need to go back into it. But, again, hopefully <laughs> Freddie will, will do a good job and, 
you know, I certainly am not rooting against him. I just have been there and seen it. Uh, but and then the outside linebackers coach and special teams coach looks like it's going to be the only guy coming over from Washington, William Inge, uh, who is ironically William on that Indiana coaching staff. Uh, That's that right. Talked about. So Inge was also on that staff. Defensive backs coach. One of them is going to be uh, Mo Linquist, who is going to be the co DC. Very likely, probably uh, going to be the the cornerbacks coach. He was the head football coach of the Buffalo Bison. Uh, and uh, and he, uh, he he is now going or Buffalo Bulls, pardon me, Buff, and uh, he is now coming over to be a part of this staff. Has already been out recruiting with Courtney Morgan, who is the new general manager of uh, the University uh, of Alabama football program, and then the safeties coach. Uh, a lot of people believe that he's one of the best recruiters uh, in the country, uh, and that is he's coming over from Wisconsin, uh, and uh, and he uh, I know he had a a very high uh, reputation to be honest with you he was on he'd been with Luke Fickle for a while and supposedly uh, a lot of the Wisconsin fan base uh, was extremely just upset uh, that uh, you know that he was uh, going to be uh, leaving Luke Fickle's staff uh, to uh, be uh, come to the University of Alabama uh, but I think I just really think overall um, uh, it, it, I think this is a really good coaching staff it's Got a great mix of outstanding coaching ability, but also recruiting. And, of course, I'm referring to Colin Hitzler. hope I'm saying that right. But Colin Hitzler uh, was, is going to be the, the safeties coach and just an outstanding recruiter, was known as the best recruiter on that Wisconsin staff. So it looks as though the coaching staff on field-wise, even though it hasn't been announced, is in place. And uh, it's a very good one. And, and also, I thought, you know uh, – Kalen DeBoer understands this is not broken. He retained two on-field coaches, but he has retained the majority of uh, the uh, off-field guys. There's a lot of guys like Josh Chapman, who's in player development, uh, Ha Ha Clinton Dix, also, uh, and then Den- uh, Denzel Duvall. Yeah, Denzel Duvall is also being retained. Jeff Allen, the head of sports medicine, who's the best in the country, will be retained. You already mentioned David Ballou, head of strength and conditioning. And then Ellis Ponder uh, is going to continue to be the football chief operating officer. So there will be a lot of familiar names. Josh Maxson will continue to be the media liaison. So there will be familiar names around the program, but there will be new blood and new philosophies, uh, you know, on offense and defense. So, the, uh, you know, Kane Womack is going to bring the 4-2-5. Uh, his defense is kind of built around the safeties. Uh, that's why I thought maybe Caleb Downs would return, but, I think what is what William mentioned. I think Caleb Downs and his dad mainly came to Alabama, not even because of T. Rob. T. Rob certainly helped, but I think they wanted to play for Nick Saban. Uh, no, no doubt about that. And the, I think once Nick Saban left, because uh, they didn't follow T. Rob to Georgia, so uh, they ended up going to Ohio State. Uh, and so they, I think they were that they they were ready to do something different. Uh, and uh, they they did not want to stay there if Nick Saban wasn't there. And so. That's just part of what you're going to go through, like William said, when you go through a transition like this. And it's more about how you react if you're if you're Kalen DeBoer, this new staff, than you know losing a player because they've already lost some prominent ones, but uh, they've already uh, you know you lose a Julian saying, uh, you know, but you bring in you know an, an Austin Mack who is very very interesting. Uh, he's from the same high school, Folsom High School, as Jonah Williams which is uh, yeah, one of the better high school programs publicly in the state of California. 
they play a lot of those uh, private schools that are the best in California too, such as Adela Sal. They play a very tough schedule. He was a guy that basically redshirted this year, but was on the team at Washington. He's got four years of eligibility left. He is every bit of six foot six, two hundred and thirty pounds, uh, with with outstanding mobility and an outstanding arm talent. I know people are, you know, just distraught about Julian Sand, but he'd only gone through a full, few bowl practices. And I think, you know, discounting Austin Mack is a mistake. I think he's a, an outstanding prospect. Everything I've heard about him as far as intelligence level, arm talent, athleticism, uh, you know, has been exemplary. I was even told that he made enough progress last year that if there had been a change from the standpoint of, uh, you know, uh, at quarterback or an injury really to Penix would have taken injury. That, uh, you know, uh, that, that Mac would have taken over. It was it kind of reminded me of uh, the Star Jackson deal where it was obvious from the jump when A.J. McCarron got there uh, that he had already passed up Star Jackson. And then A.J. beat out Phillip Sims, became one of the best quarterbacks in Alabama history. But again, you just have to let things sort of play out. I trust the coaching staff. I mean, Julian saying could have stayed and competed uh, with Austin Mack. I don't buy that he was run off by the coaching staff. I know you read some of that stuff from these recruiting gurus who are close to the family, but look, man, I think Julian saying and his family once uh, the coaches that recruited him, and that's what you have to understand with a lot of these guys that have left, the coaches that recruited them are not there anymore. Uh, B.O.B. recruited him. He left. He had a good relationship with Reeves, but now Reeves is gone. Nick Saban is gone. And so Julian saying and his family, I think they wanted some things uh, that, you know, I don't know about guaranteed, but they, they wanted some certain things from the new coach and to try to connect with him. And sometimes you don't connect with a player. And I think, uh, I think it was twofold. I think they had already reached out to Mac, but I think, uh, you know, and they wanted to add him to the mix. But I think, too, Julian saying uh, and his family probably didn't feel comfortable with DeBoer and, you know, I, I hear the meeting didn't last long. We don't know if that's true or not. But I just think overall, I'll, I'll just bring up something and get a chuckle from William because this is 100% true on this show, everybody. If there's one thing that I learned, and everybody knows that I'm no Lance Thompson fan. <laughs> but one thing Lance Thompson told me, if there's one thing that son of a bitch could do is recruit. He told me one time, he said, Drew, the craziest parents are quarterbacks. He said they all think they're going to the Super Bowl. They all think they're going to be the number one pick in the draft, and they all think they're Tom Brady. So I'm just telling you, you got to deal with a lot of that stuff. I, I'm not going to get on DeBoer for that. He brought his guy in. If Sand didn't want to stay and compete, then, hey, man, uh, let him go somewhere else. He's now announced today he's going to Ohio State to follow Bill O'Brien. And as soon as B.O.B. got announced for that job and Sand went in the portal, that's what I figured would happen. So good luck to Julian. I think he's a really good player, but there's more than one fish in the sea. And he, guys like Caleb Downs, he's the one guy that's hard to replace. But I'll just say this. Even Caleb Downs doesn't define Alabama football. Neither does Julian saying they're still going to have a, a really good roster and a really good team. And I just hope these fans and the, the, the Alabama nation will get behind Coach DeBoer. Anybody that starts comparing him to Brian Harson already should, you know, give themselves a lobotomy because they don't know the game. And so just let him and his coaching staff go to work. And if they do, I think you're going to like the product. And I'm excited to see this roster and see what else recruiting-wise comes out of this weekend as well, William. 
Well, Drew, let, let me say this, and this isn't directed at you because I know you understand ball. But I, I would challenge the Alabama fans that, that listen to this podcast. Um, and and I, I'm, I'm, I'm sending a message without really sending it because it's going to sound like I'm already jaded and, and maybe the incumbent, you know, isn't going to be that guy. But let, let me say this. I, I have spent a lot of time um, since Kalen DeBoer um, was announced as Alabama's head coach, what, uh, nine days ago. Um, and I've also spent a time, a lot of time watching uh, Kane Womack's defense um, since it was announced that he was going to be the guy. And, and so th- this is my kind of like quick thoughts on it, on both of them. Um, Kalen DeBoer is the current college football flavor of how mummy. His offense is basketball on artificial turf and grass. That damn ball gets snapped, um, at least with Michael Penix at the quarterback. That damn ball gets thrown, you know, less than two seconds after it hits his hand. Um, you know, it might be a bubble screen. It might be two guys crossing over the middle. But that damn ball gets out of his hand real quick. Um, I'm not, pro, you know, projecting or predicting a quarterback battle. I'm just saying I don't blame Kalen DeBoer for bringing Austin Mack from Washington to run his system. There, there's a reason for that, and I think it was calculated. Now, we're going to flip over and talk about Kane Womack. First of all, I've got a lot of former teammates um, that are entrenched into the Mobile High School football system. I mean, some of them are coaches. uh, Some of them are boosters. But unequivocally, the feedback that I got after Kane Womack was hired by Kalen DeBoer was, you know, son of a bitch. This guy gets it um, because, you know, this is like the second stint that Kane Womack has done in Mobile at South Alabama. Um, you know, the, the, the latest one is, is him being the head coach, but I think he also had a stint where he was down there seven or eight years ago. Um, you know, but, but, but the guy – is universally loved. I mean, he's got the relationships, um, you know, with the with the high school coaches and the players down there in Mobile. That's mm-hmm. going to be huge. Um, but I love, you know, we're, we're going away from Nick Saban's two-gap damn defense, which I was never really a big fan of. And, and you know, Kane Womack's four-two-five. That, that's an attacking defense, and, and I like the way he constructs it. it you know, especially, um, you know, yes, it's you know two two heavy safeties up in run support, but I like the way from a personnel standpoint that he constructs it. It's a nose guard, um, it's two three technique D linemen, 
and 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 you know like you know walking up an outside linebacker or having maybe like a uh Dallas Turner type you know at the other one um it, you know as Alabama fans people have to be patient and you know let this guy work his magic because I've watched all the film and I'm just telling you right now his offense is very very difficult to stop because of the the way they run plays and and you know they do it with their own personnel and but the, the key is the quarterback doesn't ever get sacked because he gets rid of the ball inside of 2.5 seconds now how does that play out when they ask you know Jalen Milrow to run that offense he's not known as a quick processor and making quick decisions. But the thing to me, Drew, that's more, even more exciting is the way that Kane Womack runs that defense. Um, I, I think it's kind of like what Wild Turkey Pete Golding kind of wanted to do, but he's not Kane Womack. And the way that he constructs his front seven with the two heavy safeties on the back end, I think that's going to be that, – that to me, um, yeah, I'm going to watch Scott Huff's offensive line. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I, I, I want to see a change there as well um, w- without having, you know, three guys that are, you know, 360-plus playing O-line. But the the thing that I'm the most excited about, about the Kalen DeBoer era at Alabama, is watching how Kane Womack pulls a more uh, attacking, threatening defense. Um, you know, I don't know enough about the back end of a defense, Drew, because I never played back there. Right. But I did play in a front seven. Uh, you know, in high school. And the way he constructs his front seven with, you know, maybe a uh, um, DJ Dale, um, a Justin, a Bogby, um, and, and, you know, maybe a Gene Otis, if they can hang on to him, that, that still remains to be seen. But the way he constructs his front, front seven on defense, um, that, that, that kind of fascinates me a little bit. Yeah, and I'm going to let Thomas come in now because he's very familiar with Kane Womack as well, being down there in Mobile. And he's a, uh, you know, he went to the University of Alabama. He also went to South Alabama and he worked, he worked at South Alabama. And I know he, he was a Kane Womack fan, but now uh, our another one of our former OCs and analysts, Major Applewhite, will go from quarterback coach and, and OC to, uh, to uh, the head football coach, his second opportunity. I thought he did a solid job at Houston, but. He got let go for Dana Holgerson, and and now the that'll lead to another former Bama, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, Patrick Ezel getting uh, promoted uh, from uh, tight ends coach uh, to uh, QB and OC under Major Applewhite, or as William would say, Ducks shitting. And if you, of course, if you're an Alabama fan, you know exactly uh, about that with Ezel and his Nick Saban impression. But both those guys getting a bump up as Kane Womack comes in, but. Uh, Thomas, I was going to, uh, you know, let you come in and give your thoughts on uh, Kane Womack and this staff and 
Uh, and uh, because I know you were in a way you were disappointed to see him leave South, but it's certainly going to uh, enhance the University of Alabama. So l- let's take a step back, Drew. And this is I, I say this very tongue in cheek. When Kane Womack was rumored to be at the position, I was like, please, please leave the South Alabama coach alone. Because, you know, so, so let, me, let me paint the picture for non-Mobilians. In the past 10 years, the University of South Alabama has built a lovely on-campus stadium, great facility. It's now where yeah. the Senior Bowl is. Um, the practice, the, the, the outdoor practice facility, your indoor practice facility, it's open air, but it's covered. It, uh, it blew up. And then they rebuilt it, so now it's lovely. So there's been a significant uh, investment in football at the University of South Alabama. And it's a lot of fun to go to a game. I went to the bowl game that South Alabama won, and then there was the random bizarre fight, which is still the weirdest thing in college football this year. And that includes khaki pants cheating. So, you know, South Alabama was kind of on the up and up. Yes, they did beat Oklahoma State, and then they kind of farted around and weren't able to get it to get the job done in conference but there was a lot of positivity there and and I even admit you know I'm talking to friends hey do we want to talk about going in on season tickets to go to some of these games it is kind of fun you know grab a couple of beers grab a couple of guys watch the game shoot the breeze yada 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 then Kane Womack leaves for Alabama and when it was rumored I was like please don't take our coach now I say our because I have one degree from Alabama, two from South Alabama, but it's also, again, very tongue-in-cheek. Well, hell, I'm sorry. I would have said that, but I couldn't remember how many damn degrees you got. You're one of the smartest son bitches I know. I just <laughs> remember how many. I, I get, you're, almost, you're basically almost a doctor, I guess. But shit, I couldn't uh, remember how many. I you was had. about to say, I, so, so PhD, I, I can claim doctor depending on what style. Yeah, there you about. go. I thought but, so. But, but no, I mean, it, again, this is why I'm – it's it levity to BAMS radio. I think it's it's a it's a step back. Like I think Major Applewhite's fine, but I think Kane Womack was going to take the program to consistent competing for championships in whatever the hell conference it is. I I don't remember. It doesn't particularly matter. But you know, South Alabama's loss is Alabama's gain. I think I think the key thing that came out of the start of the Kalen DeBoer era, and I, I kind of got some some flack for this, is it needed to be Kalen DeBoer's program. One of the issues with Alabama, and I wasn't around for this, but I've spoken to multiple people and I've at least read a bunch of what people have said. When Bear Bryant retired, the spirit of Bear Bryant stood over that program almost until Nick Saban came along. And Nick Saban said, hey, just because you're a fat cat from the 80s doesn't mean you get to hang around the program and tell me how to do things. So... To counter that, you needed to have a very clear break, a line of demarcation where it goes from Nick Saban's program, as excellent as it was, to Kalen DeBoer's program. And you look at the coordinators, not Nick Saban guys. You look at the retentions, only a couple of Nick Saban guys. You look at the people that Kalen DeBoer has brought in. And you can throw darts at some of them, but... I don't know how you look at this staff as constructed, as we've spoken about, and not be excited. You've got arguably the best coach from each staff that Kalen DeBoer has plucked them from. And if it's not the best coach, X's and O's guy, it's the best recruiter. And overall, Drew, 
I think that there's a lot to really be excited about. I hate it for the University of South Alabama, but at the same time, this is the nature of the business. South Alabama is not able to throw millions and millions of dollars. Believe me, I am the president of my college's alumni association. If, if I hear one more discussion about the money at the University of South Alabama, I will throw myself off a bridge because I've heard it that much. So, you know, South Alabama can't throw oceans and oceans of money. And for those that don't know, there is a problem in what is now getting to the college level called the enrollment cliff. There's a point about 25 years ago where the number of people that number of children a group, a generation was having went below sustainable. And so what you end up getting is, yes, you can make it up with immigration, which which Alabama, University of South Alabama and others have done, but they're just not as many college age young people anymore. It's just, it's the nature of the beast. It's simple math. So suddenly Alabama can still get their quotas, whatever their, their enrollment number is based on their criteria, but private schools and I'll call it what it is, second and third tier newer directional schools like the University of South Alabama, they're struggling with enrollment. So when you struggle with enrollment, you don't have as big a pie to spend. South Alabama's in the middle of that. So it doesn't surprise me that Womack got plucked. And again, as I said, South Alabama's loss is Alabama's gain. I mean, I, I'll, I'll let me let me let me take the hot take cannon. I'm going to load it with a with a with a nice hot take, and I'm going to launch it, and I'm going to launch it back to you, Drew. I think this staff, from an X's and O's standpoint, is as good as any X's and O's staff since at least 2020 with Steve Sarkeesian. And I think the Ryan Grubb, Kalen DeBoer, uh, you know, two-headed monster is Sarkeesian level on offense. And I think Womack, I'm not willing to say he's as good as Kevin Steele because I'm not going to hold, I'm not going to say anything but great things because of what Kevin Steele was able to bring this past season to the University of Alabama. But I think Womack's at least in that conversation. And the thing that really makes me excited is we have a clear line of demarcation and show me a guy that you're not excited about on Kalen DeBoer's staff. I thought that was necessary. I think one of the things that's being addressed right now, and we, you know, William talked about it a little bit with the NIL, the presence of Nick Saban put some complacency in the organization, some of the accoutrement, some of the NIL stuff. And Alabama got reached up and bit. It happens. It's not, it's not surprising when you have a singularity that pulls all things to it, and when it snaps back, you have some some. When you remove the singularity that is Nick Saban, you have some reshuffling. I think that's getting fixed. I think DeBoer's got a lot of guys in place that will keep Alabama competitive, and I don't think there's a lot of reason to really wail and gnash your teeth. I know I'm pretty excited based on what I expect from the on-field product. And the real question that's left for me is, what does the organization look like? Well, I feel like the early returns are pretty positive nine times out of ten. And as we sit here talking about it with, what, 
two months to spring ball, the first of the non-Nick Saban era in in a large swath of the fan base's lifetime, I think it's fair to be pretty excited, even though, again, South Alabama's loss is Alabama's gain, Drew. Well, I mean, I know the media is excited because they may actually get to go to spring practice. Uh, they may actually see some of it. Uh, we'll see. Uh, Our coaches yeah. have Twitter accounts. What is this? I don't know what to think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> DeBoer, DeBoer, uh, you know, hey, hey know. Drew, can I, can I say something to Thomas real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Hey, hey Thomas, I, I know where the high point is of the uh, Daphne uh, Bridge going over Mobile Bay um, because I fished under it a hundred times but i will come down there and throw your little ass I, I'm, I'm assuming you probably only weigh about 150 175 pounds um, i'll chunk your ass over that bridge i was about to say <laughs> no no I, i'm a solid 6 2 210 sir so you know game on if you're gonna do that but i appreciate it <laughs> no, no but i'm just saying i appreciate your comments about the uh uh, you know, the current coaching staff and, and letting them have a chance to implement, you know, their ideas and their principles, um, you know, into what we've got going on down there in Tuscaloosa. Good stuff, guys. Well, it is. And I'll just tell you this. Uh, I Before we talk about the recruiting uh, weekend and then wrap it up with the questions, but uh, I'll make this statement. And Thomas, they did. we did have a very good offensive coaching staff back in, in 2020, but I think this offensive coaching staff, uh, if you know, in, with Grubb and DeBoer and their synergy, is going to be even better than Sark. Uh, and, and now, do they have the talent Sark had? I don't know. And I know one damn thing for sure the defensive coaching staff is going to be much better than Wild Turkey and the Morons. And, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I thought about this. Actually, it, it, I think Nick Saban. He's the GOAT, and he did a great job of overcoming it. But one of the reasons he retired is he couldn't get his coaching staff right the last six years on defense, and I think it grinded on him. Uh, Once Jeremy Pruitt and a lot of those guys left after 17, Alabama's coaching staff on defense from 18 through uh, this season was, was not up to par. This year was better with Kevin Steele, uh, but you still had Freddie Roach. You still had Coleman Hutzler. I think T. Rob was 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 a good coach, but not great. So there were still some issues on defense, and that's why Nick Saban admitted he had to be even more heavy-handed. Uh, so really, Alabama hasn't had an elite defense in 2017, and that's because of coaching. Uh, they were they were improved this year, and uh, but still not. Uh, if you look at it uh, from a statistic standpoint, they weren't the the, the best defense in the country. Because if they were, they would have stopped Michigan and they would have ended up winning a national championship. They did not. So, But I do think this coaching staff has a chance to be better. And now they've got a chance to you know, make to show how they can recruit because they've already got Parker Brailsford, uh, the number one center in the portal. I think they're going to get Jeremy Bernard, who would have been UW's uh, top receiver because he was really their third and fourth guy this year. The other guys are going to go to the NFL, and he's in the portal. He's also a good kick returner. I think he can replace Isaiah Bond. And then we'll see. Uh, they've already got Austin Mack, who will enroll Monday as the quarterback. Uh, and then Javar Muhammad, the corner. Sounds like he might still make this visit to Oregon. We'll see. But Alabama's fighting uh, Texas. 
Alabama did get a sizable NIL donation this weekend, so we'll see what happens with Muhammad. Of those transfer guys, those four, he's probably the most uncertain right now, but they've still got a solid shot at him, and he would fill a hole there because of Trey Amos deciding to ruin his life, leave Alabama, and go to Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. Uh, they'll have a good year, I'm sure, but they'll never win a championship. Ole Miss doesn't do that. So, But anyway, and then we'll see, but uh, the most important visitor is Ryan Williams, who is, from what all accounts, having a great time with his father. Uh, you know, Jalen Mbakwe, who right now, especially with uh, the departure of Julian Sang, would be the number one signing in the class. It's it, it, given off very positive vibes with Ryan Williams and his family. That would be a huge recruiting win for this new staff. And Ryan Williams would be, I think, have a chance to be wide receiver one his freshman year because he's that talented. So we'll see. They also have Noah Carter coming in, who got out of his letter of intent, has freakazoid film from Arizona. And I think uh, that he's going to commit as well. So could be a, a big first weekend for this coaching staff, which will hopefully quell some of the anxiety from the fan base who has been worried uh, that he that Alabama wouldn't recruit uh, at the same level as Nick Saban. And they might not, but I still think they're going to be very, very effective. And this ain't the first rodeo for Kalen DeBoer. He's built a team via the, through the portal, and he can do it at Alabama, whether it be some pieces now and some pieces uh, at the end of spring practice. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you, Drew. I mean, and I think that's the way that, um, you know, most Alabama fans should kind of like, you know, choose to uh, look at this stuff. You know, if you look at it, um, you know, that offense, it's very difficult to defend. Um, You know, go look at the, uh, you know, the Kane, uh, you know, Womack uh, defense. At, at South Alabama, um, it, it, you know, it, it's, it's real hard to defend that stuff. Yeah, it really is, no doubt about it. But, Thomas, uh, let's go to the questions. Uh, I know we had a few from uh, the Twitter account. You put it out there. Uh, what, what, are, what are some of the listeners wanting to know? Sure. And uh, for listeners that, you know, don't aren't on Twitter – uh, we try. I try and take questions before we record the show. If you have a burning question, hit us up. If for some reason you uh, are, are not on Twitter, I don't blame you for it. There are times I can't stand it. Uh, follow us on Patreon, patreon.com slash bamsradio. Five bucks a month, you get to jump to the front of the line. And if we're not near a podcast, I can text Drew and William. But this comes from a good friend of ours. He's appeared on the podcast before, uh, Hampton Sipper. I'll answer, and then I'll kick it to you, Drew. What uh, Kalen DeBoer hire has impressed you the most thus far? First off, Hampton used KDB, and uh, I'm taking Coach KDB as my thing because I absolutely started calling him that. But the thing that's been most impressive to me is not an individual hire. It's the seeming diversity of where uh, coaches are coming from. You know, it's not – I think there's – I think it's very easy to sort of bunker up and say it, you, the majority of your coaches need to have played in the SEC or have coached in the SEC or have you know been around the SEC. And I appreciate that Kalen DeBoer understands that, in fact, yes, there is football played outside of the Southeastern Conference. And 
is willing to take a shot on a bunch of folks from a bunch of different places that are coaching at a high level. That, to me, is the most impressive part of this staff. And, again, I'm excited to see what spring football looks like. There's not enough bourbon in Kentucky to keep me away from the A-Day game. I can tell you that much, Drew. But what about you? What about you and William? What I've been uh, most uh, impressed with so far is that he's been able to attract, uh, you know, standing head coaches uh, who are making good money and are in good places. You know, Kane Womack had won a bowl game. Uh, he had done a good job at South, but uh, they had worked together before. And certainly Alabama can make a financial commitment. And Kane is a very well-respected defensive coordinator who has the recruiting ties to Mobile that will help Alabama. Has a very good relationship with Sarah Land High School and Jeff Kelly. And uh, and we're going to talk about that recruiting uh, class here in a second because, again, not just Ryan Williams visiting, they've also brought K.J. Lacey, uh, the QB that's committed to Texas in this weekend with Ryan. Uh, and he, he's been committed to Sark and the Texas Longhorns, but – I know he grew, he was a Bryce Young fan. The other co- the previous coaching staff was more high on George McIntyre, who was going from Brentwood Academy, who was going to commit uh, to Texas or excuse me Tennessee. Pardon me on Monday. And again, I think that was already trending that way. But Alabama made a heavy run at him, but that was with Nick Saban and Tommy Reese, who are gone. So McIntyre is going to commit to Tennessee. Alabama, you know, was uh, going to be and uh, had uh, you know been recruiting. Uh, you know, K.J. Lacey and McIntyre probably was going to circle back to K.J. anyway. But now that you have a new coaching staff, that gives you a chance uh, with kind of a fresh start. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to see getting K.J. Lacey committed. I know he's got one more year of eligibility. He's not reclassifying like Ryan Williams. Still, that would be another guy he's very comfortable with catching passes from. Jeff Kelly's got a hell of a program over there. And so that could be a very interesting kind of package there. I know Auburn was trying to recruit KJ as well, uh, and Texas is trying to keep him committed. But I think Alabama would have a hell of a chance of flipping KJ Lacey as they continue along in this process, no doubt about it. But I just, and then Mo Linquist, he has a great reputation. Uh, everybody was, you know, I was kind of focusing on DJ Durkin and some other guys I was more familiar with. I wasn't as familiar with Mo, but when you look at him, uh, you know, and his reputation, you have to be very, very impressed with it. Uh, no doubt about it. And then, like we said, uh, Colin Hensler uh, from Wisconsin, you got to be very impressed with him as well uh, and what he's been able to do as far as, uh, you know, as a coach uh, and uh, in his uh, young career. And he's another young, energetic guy that's known as a recruiter. So, I, I, again, Alabama, it, it's still Alabama. They still the standard. It's still going to be not recruit itself, but with the facilities and the commitment, these guys are going to be able to attract players. And I know some are they're taking a wait and see because he did it at Washington, he did it at Alabama. But like William said, with this offense and, and its productivity and the way it features quarterbacks and receivers, they are not going to have a problem uh, attracting skilled guys to this offense. I know they've gone through some transition and some guys have left, but they are going to be able to replace those guys in the portal probably everybody but Caleb Downs, and then they're still going to be a really good football team, and kids are going to want to come and play for these guys. So, to me, I'm very excited about the early returns. I know it's only been about a week. I know they've lost some players, but they're going to retain the majority of this roster, and they're going to add to it. And so, I know people. some people are already trying to put out depth charts. I wouldn't do that. Just let this play out. 
and wait and see where the roster is after spring practice before you start trying to break everything down and see where all the pieces fit, Thomas. Oh, absolutely. And this actually dovetails into our next question, Drew. Uh, and this actually, this, there, there are actually two questions. So they'll build on each other. But, you know, from our Shane on Twitter, thank you so much for your question. Same thing to Hampton. Same thing to our next question. But uh, how does the current roster fit new schemes, particularly on defense? And this is, you know, let's add an addendum to this. How do the current defensive line, linebackers, and edge rushers fit a four-two-five? And on offense, which ride receiver takes a huge step in a grub ramp, grub officiated, you know, offense? I'm gonna guess on wide receiver. I'm gonna say Jalen Hale. That's my that's my moonshot, Drew. But what you got? Well, I mean, I just think overall, when you look at it, I still think you know I've talked to some some folks uh, about this defense. It is. It does have some uh, some di- some different nuances to it. That of course, what we've been used to under seven, which is a three four over under, but really they played a lot of four man front. They played a lot of nickel, so that they've done that before. Uh, this this defense might actually be a little bit more attacking. So I think the edge guys will certainly enjoy playing in it. There's just going to be different terminology and different names for the the positions of these guys that are a part of this. Uh, uh, defense, you know, there's going to be different nomenclature you'll have to get used to because we've been so used to the Sabanese. But I think they're going to have a lot of good players. Uh, they certainly probably need to add some some numbers in the secondary because they've kind of been decimated with some starters leaving and and some depth. So that's why I think they're going to be aggressive in the portal uh, now. They're trying to get Jabbar Muhammad and even after spring practice and adding some numbers uh, and some guys that can compete. Now they are going to. You know, be able to hopefully uh, to hold the majority of this recruiting class together. I know they've already lost Jameer Grimsley. He uh, flipped to Florida and did that while we're recording this show. And then they have lost Julian Sand, but hopefully they're going to be able to keep uh, the uh, the majority of it in place. Uh, no doubt about it. And I, I think they I think they will. I know they were that was one thing they were working on yesterday uh, as part of it. With the, you know, as uh, Mo Linquist and. Uh, you know, and uh, the new general manager as well of the Alabama football program flew out to California uh, because of Zabian Brown, uh, who is, of course, the corner uh, from uh, from uh, modern day where Bryce Young is from. Uh, and also uh, they have the, the uh, freshman safety from uh, St. John Bosco as well. Wood, uh, Wood, Wood, Woodyard, and uh, he's a really good player. So they were trying to make sure both of those guys were going to stay because they need those guys for depth and to compete, uh, and they're really good players. So again, they're but they're roommates. I think they wanted to stay. So excited about that, no doubt about it. Uh, and then you know, and Thomas, I know you were talking about the defensive players. What was the other part of the question? Right. So which wide receiver takes a huge step up in a grub coordinated well, offense? Well, I mean, I know you you made a great point about Jalen Hale, and I really like him. Uh, I know there was some thought that. Some people were worried he was going to transfer, but I mean, I, I think that overall he's a guy that has a lot of talent and should want to play and compete in this offense. Uh, I would have thought Isaiah Bond would have wanted to do that and and take advantage of his NIL opportunities, beating uh, you know the Auburn Tigers. But I think he was worried about the quarterback position uh, with Milrow. We'll see if Milrow how much better they can make him from the neck up. They can take the next step to turning into a pro prospect in this system. But he took the NIL money and ran, and 
Uh, I think he'll regret it in the long run because I think he would have caught more passes in this offense if he would have stayed and been patient. But he was uh, after a money grab, and he's a good player. But he's definitely replaceable, especially if Jeremy Bernard commits, as I think he will uh, transfer in from Washington. So, uh, But I think also uh, Ryan Williams, as a freshman, could be very, very productive in this offense. Uh, you know, I know he won't enroll early, but he certainly – has the electric talent and capability uh, to be, uh, you know, a big playmaker. Uh, you know, no question about it. I really, I really love him as, uh, you know, as, as a talent. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've compared him as a cross between Jalen Waddle and David Palmer, and both of those are two all-time greats at Alabama. Uh, you know, so I think he can make a big impact. Uh, but I, I like, uh, I think, you know, Kobe Prentice, I think he's kind of been a kind of underutilized so far at Alabama. Uh, he's shown some flashes uh, in his first two years as a football player uh, that uh, he he can be a good player in this offense. And, and again, uh, I, I, I like I said, Bond is moving on, so you you know he's uh, not going to uh, you know be there. But I still think when you look at it, when it's all said and done, uh, I think no question uh, that uh, that uh, they have some wide receivers on this team. Uh, that can, uh, you know, take a step forward uh, at the University of Alabama playing for uh, these new guys. And I think another uh, one that I'm really excited about is Kendrick Law. I've always I felt like for two years, uh, you know, he showed flashes and he t- made some progress this year. Thomas uh, as a guy they used on the edges and they threw the ball to. He's big and physical. And I think Kendrick Law can maybe go from a guy that was a role player to a, a, a kind of, I guess you could say, front-line role. And so I think when you look at, at those two, and then I think the, any of the other, the true freshmen, like Rico Scott, he's a very talented player, Amari Jefferson. Uh, but don't forget Emmanuel Henderson, who's kind of been injured a little bit too. I think, and Cole Adams, who uh, had to fight through injury. I think any of these receivers that are on this team should just be absolutely, uh, just absolutely, and, uh, you know, just is super excited to play in this offensive scheme. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we're talking about an offensive scheme that Roma Dunze, probably a first-round wide receiver. His his other guy whose name suddenly has flown out of my head, I apologize to our listeners, probably a day-two pick. I think it's Jalen Polk, probably a day-two. Yeah, day. I mean, they, they've had – the last two years, Thomas, they had 2,000-yard receivers, so right. they're going to throw the football. Any receiver that didn't want to play in this offense, uh, really, I've got to question uh, their motives. And, I mean, I can I can already tell you that Isaiah Bond, I mean, let's just say uh, there's no uh, I in team, but there is in Bond. <laughs> well, there you go. So, so one more question, and then we'll get on out of here. And it's been a great show. Thank you so much for taking the time. But uh, And I'll answer this one, then I'll kick it to you. But this is from Kenny on Twitter. And again, as I say, but after every question, thank you for the question. What will be the biggest schematic challenge for the players to master before and during spring practice? And the way I look at it is very simple. So it's, you know, the Nick Saban defense was very, very complicated. That, that, was, that was the hallmark of it. Nick Saban wanted to be in the perfect defense all the time. And he was able to adjust on multiple occasions 
And that's really what drove the hurry up, no huddle. That's what drove Nick Saban insane. But I don't think Womack's playbook is going to be as voluminous. But that's going to be slightly different to get players comfortable with. And on really it comes down to the biggest schematic change on offense. I agree with you. I think Kalen DeBoer wants to play the space game. He wants to get athletes in space. He also wants to run the ball. The, the, the low-key part of the Washington Huskies this year is that he wanted his, uh, his, his he wanted to run to set up the pass in most cases. It's not always that. But it's, it's going to be a different kind of game where I think finding space and understanding and then understanding on the wide receivers and understanding to the quarterback – because my read on the Kalen DeBoer offense is very much so read and react. You know, look at the defense, understand what the defense is trying to do, and then counter it. Frankly, I think Jalen Milrow was mediocre to bad at that in his first year starting. So if it's going to be Jalen Milrow's job, and after tearing the guy down, all credit in the world to that young man for trying to hold this team together after Nick Saban's retirement, Milrow's going to have to get better. He's going to have to get better at understanding that if the defense is shaded to the left, and if the defense, if the cornerbacks are playing outside technique, the slant's probably open. If the cornerbacks, particularly in the slot, are playing inside technique, the square in, the square out's probably open. Milrow's got to get that, as do the wide receivers, and I don't think that happened this past year. But, Drew, what do you think? What will be the biggest schematic challenge for players during spring practice to master with this new regime? Oh, it'll be offense, without a doubt. I mean, it's going to be on the court. Because this is so much of it under Nick Saban now. We we understand that for a, for a few years, um, from eight from basically the end of 17, when Tua finally got his shot, through 18, 19, and 20, and really 21 and 22. The last several years of Nick Saban until this year, it was a quarterback-driven offense. But they went back to more, depending on the running game, and they had to develop Jalen Milrow. So there were some bumps. But I think it's going to be an even more quarterback-driven scheme. It's going to be even more heavy, heavily reliant upon the QB as far as checks and getting into certain plays. Uh, and, you know, Bryce Young did a lot of that with his intelligence and his football IQ himself. But now, but, you know, and, and really he was even better than Tua at it. Tua's strength <coughs> was as a pure thrower of the football. Now, Tua would, was, was fragile, and Tua at times could think he could make any throw, and he would get himself in trouble because he would try to fit it anywhere. But I, I just think Bryce's football IQ, what you saw out of Bryce Young for two years in 21 and 22, it will be like that on steroids going forward, which is going to really uh, just, it's going to, it, it, for, for each quarterback, whoever's the QB of this Alabama team next year and going forward, you have got to be really sharp from the neck up. That's what I'm going to be more fascinated to see is like, if it is Jalen Milrow and he's the leader in the clubhouse, you know, I think Kalen DeBoer's a quarterback whisperer. I don't think he's just a play caller. I'm going to I'm gonna be fascinated to see how much better Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb can make Milrow because he has all the physical talent. He can throw the ball 75 yards. He can run it, as you've seen it. He's a 4-4 guy, 4-5. Uh, 
He's he's six two two twenty. He's out of central casting, but to become a a high draft pick, Thomas, he's going to have to become a better pure passer and decision maker. If they can do that with him, then this program the sky is the limit. So that's why I'm going to be fascinated, and then I'm going to be fascinated to see, you know, even though he's only going to be just eighteen in the in the in just a few months, you know, how good is uh, Austin Mack going to be? Can he push? He physically, I've heard already heard he looks great. And then you still got Ty Simpson. Is he going to leave? Uh, and then Dylan Lonergan, who I was very high on, what is he going to play baseball? What's going to happen with him? We know, uh, you know, Eli Holstein has already gone to pit. That doesn't surprise anybody. Uh, and then, but they they just got a very talented quarterback room right now that and, and that you know I think has a chance to. You know, there, there's still a lot of young, good young talent in the room, and so I just think when you look at it. Uh, even if Ty Simpson leaves, you still got Lonergan, who I think is a very good player, uh, no doubt about it. You've got uh, Milro, who's the incumbent. You've got Austin Mack, so you've got some really good players uh, in this, uh, you know, in this QB room. And I don't think there's any doubt that uh, that that that, that I, I'm just fascinated to see, you know, how you know this this these guys, uh, uh, this coaching staff develops these players because. Uh, especially offensively, because they did such a great job and so quickly at Washington. And Penix was a good player at Indiana and had been very productive early in his career, especially under DeBoer. But they, the longer he was in that Washington offense, the better he got, Thomas. So that's what I'm going to be fascinated is just to, just to see Ryan Grubb and Kalen DeBoer and the impact they can have on the quarterbacks and all the other offensive skill talent uh, on this football team, because I, I think uh, in this offense, Dylan Johnson was a 1,200-yard rusher. Good Lord, he's not nearly as talented as Justice Haynes and Jam Miller. The running game should be even better at Alabama than it was at Washington. That's that's great to hear, because that was, again, the quiet part of Kalen DeBoer's offense is he the offense really hits another gear when you can run the ball effectively. I mean, shocker, if you have a balanced offense, your offense runs more efficiently. Dun, dun, dun. You know, in other news, the sky is blue. Well, Drew, that's pretty much it for questions, but shout out to Kenny and Shane and Hampton for questions. We always appreciate it. But why don't you get us on out of here, and uh, we'll be back next week for more BAMS Radio. Yeah, we used some great stuff from William earlier in the show. Uh, great thoughts from you, especially when it comes to Kane Womack. Uh, and, you know, we didn't have any more news, I think, break during the show, but Certainly, uh, we know that uh, some more guys have transferred out of the program. But, again, I still think it's more about how Alabama reacts and gets talent. I mean, there's a lot of people kind of dancing on Alabama. They think it's their grave. They think Alabama's headed back for dark times. They're going to get smacked in the face. It's not going to happen. There's much better leadership in place at the university from the president, Stuart Bell, uh, Greg Byrne, the athletic director, on down. Um, they Alabama. It, I just I got news for everybody. I know Ohio State's the hot story right now, and they're they're bringing in all these guys. Ryan Day will still choke. They will not win the championship. You can just you can remember I said that they're gonna they're gonna find a way to gag uh, in the playoff. They won't win it. Uh, they'll probably have bad chemistry too because I don't think he can manage a locker room uh, worth ten cents. But I'll just say that, and 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 I just think Alabama overall there, there's going to be some transition. But I still think they're a playoff team, and we'll see what happens when they get into the playoff. 
Uh, but I think I, I like where this Alabama program is much more than I did. When Nick Saban came here, I think it was a train wreck. Uh, it's not a train wreck now. Plus, Coach will be around. Uh, one underrated part of it was people weren't talking about it. Coach Bryant passed away before he could help with the transition with Ray Perkins and help him make decisions. Coach Saban's going to be helping. I know some guys left, but, again, it's about who stays and, and buys in. There's been a lot of buy-in. There'll be more. And Alabama's still Alabama. They're going to attract guys. Uh, and Alabama, I'm just telling you, all the listeners, if Alabama wasn't playing the NIL game, if Alabama, you know, wasn't attacking the portal the way they should, they would have never got Kalen DeBoer. He had a huge contract extension on his desk. He could have stayed at Washington for the rest of his career. Could have maybe even won a national championship. He nearly did last year, but he came to Alabama for a reason. Because like he said, uh, at the basketball game, uh, went over Missouri the other night, Alabama is the standard. They are. It's the greatest program in, in the history of college football. And those teams that are laughing, like the LSUs, the Tennessees, and they're talking about the Shuley years and everything, you want to know why they're doing that? Because they won't admit they're still scared shitless. Because, again, they've got PTSD from getting their ass kicked a lot. And so they're just praying that Alabama's finally going to take a step back. But I don't think they are. I think they're going to continue to roll. And there's going to be some people in the fall. Uh, you know, what Thomas, you've already brought up, you know, uh, having some nice bourbon. They're going to need some wild turkey or something because they're going to have to drink themselves under a table because Alabama's still going to be, uh, you know, a the, the factor in the SEC, in my opinion and the program to watch. And Kalen DeBoer hasn't, you know, been in the SEC. That's very true. Uh, and everything he's doing, it's not his first rodeo, though. He's rebuilt rosters. There's going to be a bigger microscope at Alabama, but there's also going to be more resources. And he's put together an even better coaching staff than he had at Washington. We saw what he did last year in the last two years with that going 25-3. and three. But it's been a great episode. We appreciate William. I appreciate Thomas and the questions from the listeners. We appreciate everybody for, you know, participating in our Patreon. But we'll be talking with you hopefully next week uh, on Sunday, probably with some more recruiting news and roster news. But for everybody, enjoy the rest of your Sunday evening. Good night and roll tide, and we'll talk to you soon on BAMS Radio.